folks. Welcome back to the Colorado Switchblade. I'm your host, as always, Jason Van Tatenhove, coming to you from sunny Blue Sky to S's Park, Colorado. Well, today in studio, which is, of course, just the back of my bedroom, we have a film crew from one of the local affiliates in Denver up filming, so we're including this in that. We've got some updates today on the Diego story, the canine police officer who's retired from Esses Park. Of course, we had raised close to $100,000 and huge outpouring of community support. Um, Diego was retired after about a year and a half. And we've got some some updates on that story after he um, unfortunately violently attacked a, um, a woman who was in the residence of the handler of the dog. Um, unfortunately, we've learned it was confirmed by the Larimer County Sheriff's Office public information officer that Diego was indeed put down. Uh, he was put down last Monday after the incident. We're also hearing reports close to the story uh, from two different sources that uh, the handler in Greeley actually was bitten by Diego in the short 24-hour period of time that they were considering bringing Diego on as one of their canine units. So unfortunately, that's the update. We're still trying to find out if there is a GoFundMe account or something associated with the victim to help raise some funds for her. And unfortunately, that's about all we got for today. I got a, I got a few things else that I'm going to go over real quick. Um, but it's going to be a shorter podcast. And, and there's a reason for that. So it's been, it has been a crazy week. Over, over the last week's period, I've shot footage for like three days for two different news affiliates. And then... Uh, Right before the weekend, a documentary film crew came out for MSNBC that included Trevor Noah's production company and Time Studios. Uh, they're working on a piece for split screen that it's going to be out in the fall. I'll post uh, I'll post some links to that, but that was kind of fun. We uh, we went out to um, the wheel, got some great B-roll footage of me like writing and scribbling in my little notebook that I bring around with me everywhere. You may have actually seen me at the wheel previously, either scribbling into a composition book or, um, you know, my uh, my little iPad. Not so much these days, but but I don't know, a couple of years ago before the pandemic, I definitely would do it quite a bit. Um and uh, we got some cool footage, like me riding my big white Harley around town. It had just rained, and you know they had a setup in the back of a like an SUV with the back open, and um, you know so the roads were real wet, and just it it wound up looking great. I, I mean, it doesn't it looks more like a movie than a, a documentary, but um, yeah, that should be coming up in the uh, the fall. And um, you know what, things have just gone crazy for media appearances I, I mean it's literally like two or three times a week that i'm reached out to by film crews wanting to come up to ss park to to film or you know send a, a driver to come pick me up in ss and drive me to denver to a studio or you know i mean just last just just in the last like over the weekend um i've booked been booked on a, to three different shows on msnbc um and others uh for for the early part of september um i told everyone look i can't i can't do it right now like i'm i'm literally in the 
final home stretch for completing my upcoming novel. And I'm just, I'm just doing my best to balance the writing and editing needed to complete it. And, uh, you know, I, I really hope to have the first draft of the book finished by this week, by the end of the week, maybe the midweek. I don't know. I'm going to just, I'm going to burn the candle on both ends and just see what I can't get done. I actually, I'm, I'm the type of creative that like, I need to push things out to the very end of the deadline because then I just like, I go on the go mode, you know, and, and just get it done. Um, a bit of a manic process, but you know, that's what works for me. Um, you know, it was a strange start to the school year for my daughters having their family home invaded by film crews. And they're, they're, you know, they were just getting them into the groove of a new school year. And man, I appreciate how much they've been able to adapt to, to life and all of its serpentine twists with having me as a father, but man, they do. Um, so originally my first final deadline for the book was to be like August 31st, but that was before we knew. Um, I would be asked to testify before the Congressional Select Committee and the uh, subsequent avalanche of media appearances. And, uh, you know, that was while in the middle of all of that was going on. I, I called, I reached out to my editor over at Skyhorse Publishing. I was like, like I don't know what to do. Like, um, I've got everything planned out. I will have everything done on time. And, and the formula is set. Like, I've got all the calculations done. Um, and, uh, on schedule to have this book finished, but that was without like being on every major newscast, a newspaper magazine in the country for, you know, like a month, it still hasn't stopped. Um, and I was like, what do you want me to do? Like, do you, do you want me to just ignore all of that and finish the book? Or, you know, do you think this is like better advertising than all the money in the world couldn't buy, which it really is. Um, so uh, they graciously gave me an extra two to four weeks to get the final draft done. And I am pushing to finish that first draft by, by this week sometime still. Um, and that'll give me, so they, they did give me extra time. I wanted to still get it done on, you know, close to my original deadline so that I have about a month to really polish things up and ensure that this is the best work I can do because man, this is like my only chance. Like I've got to, I've got to make this shine. Um, because it's the only way that I have a viable path forward where, you know, I can really change the, the, the just poverty stricken state of my family's finances for the better and continue with these artistic creative projects that I've been working on, whether it's the supernatural, uh, fiction horror stuff. I love writing, which is what I want to wind up doing. Like, that's it. Like that's when I'm old, that's what I want to do. I just want to write crazy fiction horror supernatural stories that i can um you know talk about again i've said it so many times on here like i can tell so much more truth in fiction than nonfiction. but that's what i want to do and you know maybe once every year or so put out a uh a narrative nonfiction dealing with something i think the second book subject matter i've, I've decided on already i'm going to pitch the publishers is going to be on chronic pain patients and just how how they've been abandoned and just the wreckage that has happened with doctors who treat chronic pain and just how, how they have just been treated as not other than human beings. And this is, uh, for those of you who follow my story, you know, that, you know, my wife, uh, close to 30 years now, um, you know, she, she was dead about a year ago, but it, it, this is something we have dealt with intimately. Um, the whole time we've been together from the time she was, we were both 22 
um, till the time she died. And then today, you just, you know, still having to be an advocate for her care and her, her, you know, medications. It's just, if you're poor in America and we're white, so we've got it even better, but you know, if you're poor and, and a minority or someone who is in a, a, um, you know, demographic that doesn't have a voice, like you're just fucked. So I'm thinking that might be the second, um, the second narrative nonfiction book I'm going to do. Um, so uh, the other thing I was going to quick mention was I've been working behind the scenes. I, I, I really haven't talked about it. And I'm not going to really talk about it. Just I'm just going to give you a little teaser because I'm a very, very superstitious person and I don't want to jinx it. But I have been working behind the scenes on a possible TV kind of docu-series project with a major, so, some major studios um, some, some of the right people. Um, and so far we're getting really good responses from the right people. And, uh, I'm not going to discuss it any more than that until we have a deal signed, but, uh, some very exciting things may be happening just rapid fire after the book is finished and released. So I'm on a knock on wood right now. There we go. Knocking on wood. Hopefully the, uh, momentum keeps going that direction. And, you know, I have tried to take a break from my media appearances, but TV producers are a relentless bunch and they just don't take no for an easy answer. Um, plus, you know, I, I, I must weigh the payoff for my family in a year um, because that's, that's like realistically when I'm going to see the first um, of the money coming in from the book is, is about a year out from when I, I do it because you, you do get, you get royalty checks every six months, but the first one generally they're either going to hold back or give you very little because um, they're keeping that money in reserve in case the book flops, just bombs out and, and they need to refund money. So really you don't see, and, and in the book publishing world, like you get royalty checks twice a year, that's it. So um, just got to get from here to there. Um, but you know, it, it is really, this is my big chance. I have to be realistic that this book more than any other may be my only chance to capture some eyeballs and readers to garner enough interest in what I'm doing with my life and uh, writing and art and creative projects that it may mean I can continue doing these projects in a way that brings our family um, economic reality up above the poverty line that we've lived below for so long. So I, I've got to balance like, you know, just doing the work, and, you know, being that that archetypal hermit writer type versus like embracing the world and, and selling out a little bit so that, you know, more people know who I am. So when they see that book on the bookshelf, they're like, oh, wait, I heard that guy once. I think I want to I, I want to check out that book. So, you know, I, I've just been working with that. So. Um, so the next few weeks will be lighter on uh, coverage here at the Colorado switchblade. And I mean, just lighter in general, because it's just, I've got so much going on. Unfortunately, when you start listening to a podcast regularly or, or checking out an outlet of a writer and they're in their go time of trying to get their final push for that book out. Well, that's just gonna, you know, that's just part of the gig. So, um, so in lieu of that, I'm going to post a link um, to just a great interview really a discussion that I had some with someone last week who has had a very similar experience to, as to, to, as I have had. And that someone is Michael Cohen. Yes. That Michael Cohen, the infamous ex fixer, ex, uh, personal attorney for former president, Donald Trump. 
But I got to say, if you listen to what he's been putting out there since he was released from prison, he's doing some great work towards repairing some of the damage he's done, much as I've been trying to fix things as much as I can anyways. Um, but either event, I, I, I kind of struggle. Like, do I want to go on Michael Cohen's show? And, you know, I listened to a few of his podcasts and like he's putting out some good stuff. He's telling some truths. He's 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 uh, speaking truth to power. And um, it's a great conversation. Um, and it, 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 it's like close to an hour and 15 minutes that we're actually sitting down and talking about really relevant things, timely, and, and just some of the overlap between like the Oath Keepers and the Trump administration. So it, it's a great discussion. Um, so, uh, yeah. And I'm going to end off with just a short little story because I, I, I was telling this, we were going over to film at the wheel, right? And if you've read my, my, um, supernatural nonfiction horror stuff you know that like one of the first scenes in the first book is is a scene where so the main character is a guy named chance van horn he's an aging punk rock journalist that lives in ss park colorado go figure he also rides a big white harley write what you know that's that's what they always tell you just write what you know so that's what i've been doing um so uh very beginning of the book he's going over to the wheel do the wheels in the book too um and while he's going over the bridge he spits into the bridge into the water going under the bridge um this particular scene in the book actually harkens back to a real experience i had so when i was young i mentioned it before but my grandfather was was a crazy artist he he was right on the verge of of being known globally he's represented by the sculpture center in new york city he was part of the abstract expressionists and the I think it was the 50s and 60s. Maybe it was the 40s and 50s. Um, you know, he, he he just had a very kind of adventurous life, much like my own, um, in his own time. And, um, you know, used to share studio space with Calder. His drinking buddy was the, the skinny guy from the Honeymooners. You know, the, the, the guy that the big the big guy would always hit. Anyway, that was his drinking buddy. So these are, and I grew up thinking like everyone's grandfather had three different art studios in their house. So um, one day grandpa told me, look, we got to go. We got to go to New York city. And, and he cleared it with my mom and we took the train and we went down to New York city and we got off in a place where we could walk over the Hudson. And while walking over the Hudson, um, he taught me to spit in the Hudson. Now my, my only real visual recollection of this was like the Hudson is a Brown dirty looking river. And, um, you know, that, that's kind of the visual reference I still have is, is spit into this kind of just churning river below us, you know, which is massive and, and spitting into it. He never explained it. He never told me why it was such an important thing for him to have to take me to Hudson and learn to spit in it. So over the years, I've kind of created this mythology around it. Like, what the fuck was grandpa thinking? Why would he take me to this river outside New York City and like take a whole day to teach me to spit in a river? And, you know, this is something that I've come back to just time and time again in my own mental processings and, and you know, learnings and, and growing up and, and life, my life experience. And... um so I, I've worked out a pretty good theory with it so far, and it's probably completely off base, but it, it's what I'm going to run with because it's what I got. Um, you know, 
and and to this day, if you watch me walk over a little pedestrian bridge, then you know the over at the Riverwalk on SS Park, or anytime I'm walking over a bridge, like I will stop and spit into the water as it's going down. And I think it has to do with you are taking your essence as a creative and you're spitting it out into the world, you know, to that river, which here in, in SS Park, that river is going to go down and join with other tributaries and, and other main rivers and eventually make itself across the country to the Mississippi and then down into the oceans of the world. Right. So you're literally taking a part of yourself and, and, I'm someone who believes in quantum entanglement. You know, I, I love science. I love quantum physics. I'm always posting crazy stories on my Facebook and whatnot about quantum physics. Um, so, you know, I, part of me just has to believe that, you know, grandpa taught me to spit in the, the Hudson river for a reason. And that reason, the, the best I've come up with so far is that you're taking your, your creative essence and just, you know, throwing it out to the world and letting it just distribute out. Um, I don't know why that story's always stuck with me. It was just a weird moment in time for me. And uh, what's even weirder, like we went to, from there, we went and walked to the Greenwich Village flea market, which is, Grandpa had a, a booth there, you know, back during his Tomb Raider days. And um, I swear to God, I think I met Andy Warhol there with him. My cousin, actually, Sarah, she says that she, on a separate occasion, Grandpa took her down to the, flea market in Greenwich Village and she also met someone she believes to be Andy Warhol there as well um, I just remember like grandpa always knew the craziest people and you know this guy came up and um, you know I was a little kid so he seemed like a giant but he was super skinny at least to my perception he had this this long kind of black leather trench coat with the sleeves just didn't fit right and he had a like a Polaroid camera on his chest and a bunch of weird people around him and I remember he smelled funny and um you know just he, he his his cadence just the way he held himself was a little off from everyone else but I don't know I, I maybe I actually met Andy Warhol that day I don't know there's no way to ever verify it um so in my mind in my life experience I'm gonna go with that was Andy Warhol but but it is backed up my cousin believes she had a very similar experience that she believes was Andy Warhol as well so and she was there during that period of time so I uh, just thought I would throw that out there, you know, pat out the, the podcast a little bit, but I need to get back to writing. So I'm going to let y'all go. I want to thank my sponsors for making this show possible. Uh, the, the Historic Park Theater and the Real Mountain Theater here in Estes Park. You know, town kind of rolls up unless you're uh, going to the wheel um, at like eight o'clock. So, uh, you know. It's something to do towards the evening time that that extends out further. Uh, everyone loves a good movie. I love a good movie. So uh, I'm there often. So I want to thank uh, our sponsors for making this show possible. If you're interested in sponsoring the podcast, get a hold of me, Jason at ColoradoSwitchblade.com. The audience is ever growing. And uh, yeah, so, you know. You can get in touch with the people who, uh, the, the, the folks <laughs> like listening to me for some reason. All right. That's it for today, folks. Uh, thanks for listening to Colorado Switchblade. I apologize, but I'm right in the middle of go time and I've just got to get this book done so I can get on the cooler, uh, different projects. Like I've been working on this book for like a year now and I'm ready to be done with it. Um, I got another fiction novel to finish up. I'm like 10 chapters into, I got this series I'm working on. I got a lot of cool stuff. 
a lot of pokers in the fire, but they're cool pokers and uh, want to get on to something different. So I want to just get this out of the way. All right, folks. Thanks for listening. I'm Jason Van Tatenhove, and you've been listening to the Colorado Switchblade.